Welcome to the Lent Report Live. There's a new climate fight, this time between Leo and the president. Why data is the key to success at retail. Ice cream delivery in two minutes. Where's the good humor guy anyway when we need him? Big brands are trying to take back share from private label. HEB's new store opening is a wow. And in the metaverse, we look towards the creators. Sally has a new opportunity to share with us. And on the Lemper Report, it's all about dollar stores. This week's Bullseye Marketing Report is focused on Star Wars. Let's get started. So, Sally, what's the fight over the Amazon? Well, apparently we've reached a critical moment with the Amazon. Um, in Brazil's Amazon, deforestation has surged to record levels for the month of April. And, and this is very troublesome, and it's particularly troublesome to Leonardo DiCaprio, who has been an outspoken activist on this issue. And he's been urging Brazilians to register to vote in the upcoming election to save the Amazon. So apparently, President Bolsonaro took office in 2019 and uh, weakened environmental protections. And yep. so it has it has caused for an increase in deforestation. And uh, Bolsonaro wasn't too pleased with Leonardo DiCaprio's comments. Yeah. So what um, Leo tweeted is Brazil is home to the Amazon and other ecosystems that are critical to climate change. What happens there matters to us all, and youth voting is key in driving change for a healthy planet. And Bolsonaro's response, he better keep his mouth shut about the Amazon. Seriously, <laughs> you know, what? what's with this guy? You know, we had a problem, he had a problem with, with COVID, um, not really looking at data truthfully and really prohibiting a lot of Brazilians from getting the vaccine. Uh, now this, and when we take a look at what's going on with the ecosystem in the Amazon, it's, you know, frankly harmful, as Leo said, I agree with him, uh, to the rest of the planet. Uh, so inside Big Data um, asked, uh, I'm going to get this name wrong, Bagrat Safarian, who's the co-founder and CEO of Local Express, um, to talk about the four areas where grocery stores can use data analytics to enhance operation. So there's a couple stats in here before I get to, to the four points. Number one, there was a survey that was done and 59% of grocers agree that their third party delivery partnerships are unprofitable. So, you know, almost 60% of grocers are saying, you know, this whole ecosystem, uh, this e-commerce ecosystem is broken. And the uh, profitability that the grocers face when using third-party vendors is due to the loss of their data, which impacts their inventory management, marketing, and customer service. So he goes on for these four points. Point number one is inventory management, why it's so important. Uh, in 2021, he writes, two-thirds of in-store shoppers and 51% of online customers experienced out-of-stock pro products which resulted in more than $3 billion loss for supermarkets in the US. Number two, online shopping, 86% of grocers indicate they're dissatisfied with their online profitability. Um, grocers need to collect sufficient data on the number and volume of digital orders. 
And uh, what I don't like is what he says here, that if you're doing a good job with data, you can test whether you can increase product prices while promoting lower fees and better service through your own e-commerce platform without risking lower order volumes or lost sales. IBM some years ago had come up with a shelf strip that instead of having those paper price tags or plastic price tags, you know, they could change the prices like this. So if it wasn't busy in the store, they might lower prices if they were getting out of stock. And frankly, I just don't subscribe to that policy. 99% um, of marketers say that personalization helps advance customer relationship. That's number three with marketing. And number four is rentability, that grocery stores can test different pricing strategies again and, analyze, and analyze the effect on sales data, allowing them to identify products where price raise won't necessarily affect buyers' decisions. Seriously, with the prices going through the roof, with shortages, we want to try to, you know, cheat people and raise prices. Uh, I don't think so. Um, so, Sally, you like ice cream, right? I do. <laughs> and I really enjoyed uh, the ice cream truck coming to my house when I was a kid in the summertime, hearing that bell ring. Yeah, um, we, good humor. <laughs> we, we had good humor, man, in the Northeast. What did you have in the South? You know, I don't remember an actual name. Um, in, in fact, in my small town in Georgia, it may have just been, you know, just some individual <laughs> driving Bob. a truck around. But they always had the beautiful pictures on the side of the truck with all of the different different items you could choose from. And it was it was very, very exciting, um, which th it, this is really cool. Now, Unilever is offering a robotic direct to consumer ice cream sale. So it's a different modern version on the ice cream truck. Yeah, um, there's there's this company, uh, Robomart, um, who's based in Santa Monica, like we are. And um, they started a couple of years ago in West Hollywood having these trucks that are like mini convenience stores. So you have an app, you can, you know, identify where you are, the truck comes to you, it is driven, it's not a robotic truck. Um, there is a driver in it, but what happens, it looks like a minivan. And what happens is you take their app, you swipe their app when it gets to you, that actually opens the door of the side, and then you see all the products there, and you could just take it um, almost like um, what Amazon is doing with the uh, take-and-go technology. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it's on your app. Uh, that's how you pay for it. No credit cards. You never even talk to the driver. And uh, now what they did is they made this deal with Unilever who's the world's largest producer of ice cream, Ben and & Jerry's, Magnum, and, and so on. Um, so they're testing this in Los Angeles. That's the good news for us. Um, and they're going to do that. And it's the same thing. Now, what their press release says is it takes – it could take as little as two minutes. What the company um, on their website says is 10 minutes. Either way, it's still kind of cool um, that you can have this truck come to you. How they're going to make money, I don't know. That's the big issue for me because if I just order it and I just get like one ice cream, uh, how can they make money? They're going to be operating 12 hours, a, 12 hours a day, seven days a week, um, and you can get your ice cream like that. But Still, the, 
the thing for me is how do you make money on this? Yes, and I wonder if it's going to be a lot like the Uber concept where you hire people to drive these and um, the app just notifies whichever ones are in the area and closest to you yep. and they pick up they pick up the delivery. Um, so it'll be interesting on how they how they uh, manage the logistics of that. Yeah, I mean, I like the other idea where it's like this mini convenience store. So what I would have done, and Unilever is obviously um, doing it just to promote their ice cream, I just would have expanded the truck, mm -hmm. um, still have the convenience store stuff, um, and ice cream, Unilever's brands of ice cream, because you've got a better shot, you know, at making money. And, and talking about making money, um, it looks like the major brands are up in arms. Uh, they want to fight uh, the, the private label increase that we've seen certainly during the pandemic and even before the pandemic. Um, so now um, the CEO of Clorox announced that they're going to increase promotions. Now, promotions have really gone away during the pandemic because retailers and manufacturers didn't know what products they would actually have on the shelves. Um, and, you know, that's what they're going to do. They're, they're going to try to really compete with store brands. However, um, this article that was in Yahoo Finance also pointed out that if you bought Tide, Free and Genuine, no, Free and Gentle uh, detergent, it's $12.97 um, on Walmart.com. And Walmart's great value free and clear brand is $8.67. So there's a difference of $4, $4.30. And I've got to tell you that I think with that kind of difference, uh, we're going to have some severe wars going on. Uh, P&G has also announced, uh, that's the maker of Tide, that it's shifting its marketing to make more overt claims about the value in it, its costlier products. I don't un understand that. <laughs> what, what, what are overt claims about the value in your costlier products? I could see them, you know, promoting the Tide, you know, it's a better product than a store brand or whatever, but I, I am anxious to see what overt claims about value is all about from P&G. Yes, and I really think it's interesting with these um, household products like this, because I think back to my mom and how there was such loyalty to, you know, one of them mentioned in here, Cascade. Cascade was the only detergent that, you know, would work. But now with the price differences, um, it's, you know, it's a lot easier to let that loyalty to that brand go, especially if you take a look at the ingredients and you see that, you know, they're comparable I think what would be really interesting to see, especially with these um, household products, is them um, promoting um, more sustainable packaging for these or, you know, um, things that consumers are interested in paying more for these days. Yeah. Or just not switching away from. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And, you know, but but we are going to see these price increases continue. We are going to see more shortages. We're going to see inflation continue. I mean, the the issue and I was talking to a farmer this morning. Um, the issue is really the price of of, you know, diesel and, and gasoline and how that's affecting everything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that is going to affect the price of meats and, and produce and just about everything else. So, but some good news. 
HEB has opened up a new retail store um, in Texas. Um, it's their first two-story True Texas Barbecue restaurant. By the way, their True Texas Barbecue uh, by Texas Monthly Magazine has been named the best Texas barbecue in Texas. Um, they have also opened up home by HEB, a department. It's 122,000 square foot, expanded organic and local produce, a department with chef-inspired meal, a drive-through pharmacy, a larger curbside pickup. And what they also have, and our friend Stacy Bates was heavily involved mm -hmm. with this with HEB, um, they built an office for um, a licensed nutritionist to be there to help their shoppers. So, you know, um, I want to have an HEB come to Santa Monica. <laughs> yeah, we love HEB. My husband is from Texas and we love going in there. We love it for the fresh tortillas that they have there. Yep. I also thought it was really cool that they're really embracing um, local goods in this store um, by offering Texas-based artisans and businesses an opportunity to sell things like, you know, things that are very Texas, like broken antler um, art um, they've got uh, cowhide benches. Which I want to have. I, like <laughs> I know have you want that. <laughs> I mean, but if you really. go to Texas, you know, you, you yeah. like that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. And also um, in another story that was in Supermarket News about HEB, they've rolled out smart tablets. Uh, the company is the Luma Project in the beer and wine department of 120 of their stores. And basically, instead of just running an ad the way Walmart and so many other uh, retailers do it, um, they're focused on the people behind the brands on the shelf. So it really is storytelling. And when you look, also Harris Teeter has been using them, Lowe's Food has been using them. And there's some numbers here, which are fascinating to me. Um, Brand C growth rise twofold during a loop video campaign, followed by 25% growth in the following month, 12% growth over the ensuing six months. And retailers sell 51% more items for brands that are highlighted in loop tablets um, in, on an end aisle. And 60% of shoppers buying a loop featured product are trying it for the first time. So it really just talks about the power of video when it's done right. Not when you just take a commercial that's on TV and put it in the store, but going that little extra effort and doing that whole storytelling, I think is really important. And talking about storytelling, uh, metaverse. Tell me about what's going on with the creator economy in the metaverse. Well, there's a couple of things here to talk about. And the first thing being that, you know, that it's been in the news that Meta plans to take a nearly 50% cut of virtual asset sales in Horizon Worlds. Now, Horizon Worlds, we've talked about is their platform yep. for the metaverse. It's not the only one, but it is theirs. And, um, and, and what we're hearing is that this is this is bringing up uh, an interesting point for creators, um, particularly people who make music, people who make art, um, who have been 
very severely affected by the digital world and their ability to make income for a very long time. Uh, so, you know, it's it's going to be interesting. It's going to be an interesting opportunity for these creators in the metaverse, I believe. But I also wonder if this is also a great opportunity for brands that are trying to get involved in the metaverse to find creators to partner with and giving them a fair opportunity um, to promote and, and make income from their work, as well as help with, um, you know, partnering with them on, on getting their brand's recognition. And also, we, we're constantly hearing these stories about, you know, a million dollar NFT piece of artwork mm -hmm. and, and stuff like that. That's the exception. Um, yes. And it makes good headlines. Uh, this story also, um, sadly to report, and this story was, um, where was it? I don't know, but um, Ariel Shapira uh, wrote it. And um, what he also did is he included some stats that 75% of all US artists, that could be a graphic artist, it could be a fine art artist, it could be a musician, make under $10,000 a year, which really just underscores you know, why we can't allow, whether it's Meta Facebook or any of these other people, just to, you know, be stealing money blind. And, you know, in the music world, as, as you know far better than I, you know, you have a lot of people who really stood up to these streaming services and either pulled their music off it or they, they were making, you know, like 10 bucks, um, you know, a year off of an album that sold millions. It's so true. And um, yeah, it has been a difficult world for, for these creators. But, you know, if we look at things like Fortnite as an example, you know, Fortnite, um, which came out uh, several years ago, I'm not exactly sure how many, but not that long ago, um, they really did something very interesting with um, creating these one-of-a-kind events. I think their first one was the was with the artist Travis Scott, and millions of kids showed up to be a part of this event because of the it was a it was a virtual concert, and um, and so I think that's really proof that there is opportunity for the creatives and the brands to work together so that everybody can um, get some fair income from these projects. Yeah, and what um, what Ariel wrote that I in particular really took heed for is that give accessibility and freedom to independent creators, they will make the most of the work for you. It's as simple mm -hmm. as that. You can hire 100 developers to build the backbone of your metaverse, but they will never be as passionate as 1,000 independent fans who decide to make it their home. Um, so very well said. And uh, we're going to keep on talking about the metaverse. We're going to keep on doing it <laughs> and, and, you know, just help every supermarket retailer, every food company really understand the opportunity in the metaverse. In fact, we're going to be having a web, uh, a webcast with in context um, in just a few weeks from now. So check it out on supermarketguru.com. It is May 24th. Um, and uh, I hope you'll join us because we've got some great people from Microsoft. We've got people, a new survey that In Context just did. Um, we've got Kroger there. We've got a lot of people who are going to 
point us to the future of the metaverse as it relates to grocery. So I hope you'll join us. And now it's time for the Lemper Report. 25 municipalities have put in place a moratorium on new dollar store openings. The reason? Lawmakers, including Georgia Lorraine Cochran Johnson, who is a county commissioner, are pointing to data that correlates the growth of dollar stores, the lack of healthy food choices, and food deserts. Her 2019 resolution for the moratorium was easily passed by the commission and includes a comprehensive evaluation on small box retailers. Those are dollar stores, C stores, independent grocers, whose stores are less than 16,000 square foot. Bottom line is they want to find out what the effect that these stores have on the health safety, obesity level, food availability, food quality, land value, and welfare of residents. DeKalb County is not alone. Kansas City, Tulsa, Mesquite, Texas, Cleveland, Fort Worth, Oklahoma City, and New Orleans have all put in place similar efforts and moratoriums on these stores' growth. Across these communities, one common denominator is that these stores are predominantly in low-income, mostly black neighborhoods. According to a report that was just released this past January by the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, these and other cities across our nation are approving new policies that tie local regulations to broader public goals that not only limit the expansion of dollar stores, but also put limits on chain retailers with the intention of creating better alternatives for their populations, especially in the categories like fresh meats, fruits and vegetables, and the like. In all fairness, what we've seen over the past couple of years is that Dollar General have been adding produce departments. Right now, the number is a little more than 2,000 produce departments. But to be honest with you, the company has published its goal to bring that to 10,000 over the next few years. That's a great move and something we really need. But let's put it in the right context. That's only about half their stores. What about the rest? Last week, the national jobs report was a good one, with unemployment at 3.6% and over 400,000 new jobs. Sally, what's the job opportunity report for this week? Well, Phil, first of all, Stanford University will be launching this fall their first new school in 70 years, and it's very exciting. It's the Stanford Durr School of Sustainability, and this school is going to be focused on cultivating knowledge and high-impact solutions for planetary issues. Um, these departments will um, advance subject understanding, interdisciplinary institutes, and innovate across fields. It's very exciting, and it's great timing. We all know that Stanford is one of the best schools for technology and science and society majors. In fact, they've been ranked as number two in those categories in the country. But experts are now predicting a big boom in, sustain in the sustainability job market. So imagine what kind of great candidates are going to come out of this new Stanford school for this new field that's out there. Um, business leaders are restructuring and expanding their budgets to build sustainability teams. But the catch is, is that there's still a very 
a lack of clear definition on these roles and responsibilities. There's really no benchmarking for pay. So this is these are these are jobs that are going to have to really really um, develop, and we'll see what they become. But Green Biz's most recent benchmarking study, which is called the State of the Profession 2022, suggests that the average total compensate compensation for sustainability managers is $146,900. Now for directors and vice presidents, that salary goes up to $227,158. And if you'd like to be a vice president, that number goes up to $404,972. So not bad, bad for you know what you can get paid for these jobs. I, I want to change my title to Vice President of Sustainability. I'm there. I'm Supermarket Guru. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. On today's Bullseye, let's talk about Star Wars. Not the latest series, but the merchandising. There's no doubt that the Star Wars franchise is big business. According to Nielsen, The Force Awakens earned $2 billion in ticket sales. But it was the merchandising, the toys, the apparel, the video games, and even toasters that could burn the image of Darth Vader's face on your bread amounted to five to six billion dollars. On the whole, Star Wars, that's now owned by Disney, generates two to three billion every year. But George Lucas still owns the merchandising rights. So now Disney Plus streaming service is launching Obi-Wan Kenobi on May 27th. And with that, Kellogg's has a new cereal, Kellogg's Frosted Flakes Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's actually a lot more than just putting the Star Wars logo, their lightsaber, and dressing the Tony, Tony the Tiger in the appropriate helmet on the package front. They've challenged us to decide if we want to be on the light side or the dark side. I don't get it. Each box contains a mixture of regular Frosted Flakes and Frosted Flakes chocolate. I don't get that either. Look for the new cereal blend in stores in July. July? Except for Walmart. They get to sell the cereal first starting in June, even though the movie or the series starts May 27th. That move doesn't make sense. If the series starts on May 27th, why not tie the introduction together? Who knows if by July the series is still relevant? Of course, there is yet another twist. No, it's not about whose father is who. But if you go to Walmart.com, you can get a special edition. Instead of the box showing Tony's face half light and half dark, one side of the box is all light. The other side, all dark. And these boxes are a mystery. You don't know what's inside. Are they all the regular light frosted flakes or all chocolate or dark side frosted flakes? Who cares? Who thinks up this stuff? Just remember how well Heinz Mystery Ketchup did. You cannot make this stuff up. And don't forget to visit us on supermarketguru.com. Sign up for our newsletters. Also, archives of all the Lemper Report live reports are right there. And we'll see you back here next Monday, 1130 Pacific Time, 230 Eastern Time for more of the Lemper Report live.